This is the Minivan Dad Soccer Pod. Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! The only podcast where the host actually admits to driving a minivan. Sometimes it may be good, sometimes it may be And now your host, TJ. And back again with the Minivan Dad Soccer Pod. This is TJ, and this is episode 16. Never was sure I was going to make it to 16, but here we go with episode 16. And tonight we have Philip, who goes by on Twitter at Back Office Gavin. So we're going to call him Bog for the night. So welcome to the show, Bog. And what do we and what do we got drinking tonight? We're going to start with that question because that's always a good first question to go with. All right, tonight I have an Ancestry Brewing Best Coast IPA. That's a 7% kind of crisp and piney IPA out of Tualatin, Oregon. That's just over the river here from Portland. How's it going? It's going. And for me, I'm doing I'm doing Sprecher Special Amber. Sprecher is a brewery out of Milwaukee. Um, I first fell in love with them when in Arizona, you can only get Sprecher's root beer, and it's phenomenal root beer. And then you realize they actually have regular beer, and then you start drinking that, and you go, wow, it's really, really good. But it's a small brewery up in Milwaukee, Glendale, Wisconsin, technically, which is a north suburb, which is where my grandparents lived. Wonderful beer. Wonder, and it's, yeah, it's... um. Just standard. It's a lot. It's a. It's an amber with a whole lot of flavor to it. I'd like to say I know a whole lot more than that, but I've been off beer for so long, up through through Lent, that I'm still trying to rediscover all my love of beer again. And it doesn't take as much to get me under the on the wrong side of happy or on the happy side of beer again. So. <laughs> well, cheers to that. <laughs> so I got I got you into I I roped you into tonight because you were talking with um. One of the guys from the Outer Drive, which thanks again to them for being on last week, about Detroit soccer and MLS to Detroit. And I'm like, you know, we talked about that last week and then it was, hey, you want to be on? And you said, and here we are. So so I figured there'd be a lot of MLS talk tonight. There could be some snark, some cynicism, a whole lot of um, just analysis into things that we think are relevant. And we can kind of go from there tonight. Does that seem like a reasonable thing to go with? So, oh man, I think I'm getting the poor. Sorry. What's that? Uh, so, I mean, I think I just invited, I invited myself on here pretty much. Um, which, uh, oh man, I'm losing you pretty bad. Uh oh. I'm going to, I'm going to move. I'm going to take a move. Technology is not always, I, I can still hear you. So you're still okay on my end. All right, cool. And yeah, well, this... technology obviously isn't my best suit. Well, that's okay. You know what? The bottom line is this is still all going to be recording. Going to, we're going to put all of it on there because not everything needs to be perfect. I think that's half the fun of doing a pod that um, is exactly this. It's If you and I were to sit down in a bar and have a soccer conversation, this is where it would go. Maybe we'll stick to soccer. Maybe we won't. That's kind of the concept, and that's where we're going to go from here. So you, you kind of invited yourself on, but at the same time, I wanted you on. I, I, I love having interesting soccer conversations with interesting people. You always have a, a, a solid opinion on things with, with Twitter and with Portland and with soccer. So why would I not want to have a conversation with you? Well, that, well I, I, I appreciate that TJ. And, uh, you know, like I feel like that's, uh, that's how I feel about, uh, everybody out there in the, in that Midwest crew on the fire. I think that's kind of like how I originally got connected with the, with, uh, Fletcher and John, and that whole Chicago fire scene and that supporter culture. Well, um, and so it's, it's, 
and it's interesting is Fletcher and John are Detroit, they're Michigan soccer. They are <laughs> right, right. So it's just kind of like this peripheral of like you kind of like it trickles around um, but, with people that are just supporting. But I, but I agree, but I agree with you, Bog, in the sense of it started for me with OTF. It was I was at a game, a fire game, many many moons ago, and um, OTF soccer, which was was Scooter Fenwick, he followed me, and then I got um, O'Leary's cow Brian following me. And we spent the night mocking Tinfoil Ted to the point where we were talking about his mom in a turkey baster and all of us got blocked by him. And I've been blocked. <laughs> but from there, you're right. I started listening to podcasts and that's where I found the outer drive, which is Michigan soccer. And eventually you start extrapolating beyond that to wrong side of the pond across the pond. You know, um, yep, yep. all the just kind of like that grassroots media scene. Um, everybody just kind of like doing their own thing, getting their own voice out. And, and the word about soccer in that little that little weird area where you guys have like lots of fun names for your teams. And that's exactly it. And, you know, like we were talking about last week, um, and you were mentioning this before we even started, like some of the grassroots, some of the earlier soccer, some of the historical soccer, like um, Fletcher talking about Ard- or Adria, which is a Chicago-based Croatian team. I grew up playing against the Milwaukee Bavarians, which is, um, you know, they're – they're in the Open Cup. They were champions last year. I don't think they lost a game last year. I played against their youth teams growing up. To me, it was always like, oh, it's just the Bavarians. And then you start looking at through the history of the Bavarians and how amazing they were. That they had um, the 1990 U.S. national team. The World Cup coach was Bob Gansler. Who Bob Gansler? Yeah. One time he did coach the Kansas City Wizards. But where did he where did he start? University of Wisconsin Milwaukee. That's where he was coaching when he took the World Cup team. You know, it's just like you start realizing what a small world, how 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 much soccer came out of the area I grew up in. But as a kid, I never knew that. You know, and that that's always the amazing thing. So, mm-hmm. and then, and are you, are you Portland born and raised? No, actually, uh, I moved here about eleven years ago. Um, I'm actually a little a son of a British mom. Uh, dad in the Air Force, so military brat, but lived in England my first, like, 12 years, was told what was what when I was five and given an Arsenal jersey, and it's been kind of like, since then, a love of the sport, um, and not really much time for anything else. So you're, so again, as I've done this show, and if you go back in the archives, I've had, um, Ben Geshorn, you know, from um, the Soccer Goose. I've had Hack Guy Pat from U.S. Fan TV. I've had Fine Two Combs, Chris Combs from U.S. Fan TV. I feel like all I've had on other than Phil Baki is Arsenal Apologist. So I've got another one on tonight is what you're saying. Oh, wow. Great. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) Unfortunately, like, you know, like that that wasn't that was something I was born into and not really given a choice about. And and, and you know what? And I and I I have to say I can relate. I grew up 30 minutes from Milwaukee and I grew up a Packer fan and there really wasn't a choice in my family. My dad, my dad grew up in Cicero, which is another suburb of Chicago. Again, I don't know how much Chicago geography, you know, but he is a Packer fan growing up and his whole family was Packer fans. If you're going to be a Packer fan in, in bear country, you better believe in Wisconsin. You're going to be a Packer fan. So really it was oh, kind man, of but a, publicly it was a owned. You're like a part owner, right? I have two. I actually have a. I have a share of stock, and actually, I technically have two shares, and only because I'm lazy is I'll get out. My dad bought one for 
my son who wasn't born at the time, so he gave put it in my name, and I'm supposed to transfer it in. I keep losing the paperwork. It's in my yeah, office somewhere. <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty powerful. Like I, I, I don't have any shares in the Portland Timbers. You, you don't have any shares in the Chicago Fire. No, and that's and that's true. Um, I got my my share of stock was my grandfather before he passed. Um, the year it was the first stock offering. Or not more one of the more. It was late '90s. They did a stock offering, and he bought a share for each of his grandkids, and he passed that October and. For Christmas, we all got a share of stock from them for the Packers, so that's in a frame. Do, do you think the fire or the timbers would be better off if me and you could have shares of those teams? I, you know what? Do we it, kind of have a share in that team with how we participate in it as a culture? You know, it, that's that's a that's actually a, a great question. I'm I'm not gonna lie, I because i i've gone i've been a fire season ticket holder since 20 2010 technically i didn't go to games till starting in 2011 um because i was living in arizona in 2010 but it's one of those things that as a as a season ticket holder as somebody who knows the the season ticket reps when i have a complaint or something i don't like about the package you know they give it. They do fan service, and I'll answer them, and they'll call, and I'll give them feedback. And there's been a there's been more than one thing that I know. I'm sure I'm not the only one that puts that feedback in, but they make those kind of changes for it, and they seem to cater towards those that are repeat customers. And um, and I, I guess you know, you're you're part of the Timbers Army, correct? If I'm, mm-hmm. if I'm yeah. And how much of a seat at the table do you guys feel you have? I mean, not and it's not with. I'm not talking like, hey. We think you should go sign this guy. You go sign him. No, I'm talking like in terms of game experience, in terms of things that the club can do in the community, things like that. I mean, How- it's it's an active the 107s, which is the like the kind of the the dues paying uh, nonprofit arm of the Timbers Army. You know, like they handle all the donations, all like the volunteer work, all of the like game day costs that go into TIFO and the the game day experience. Our board gets a seat at the table with the front office. You know that that's an active conversation about you know seating, about uh, who's getting in when, about how many people are standing, and 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 you know like what signs we're bringing in. Those those are active, constant communications that are happening between the front office and the supporters' culture. And I don't know that it's a result of just a very you know engaged you know, um, altruistic front office. It's just the result of a very big, powerful community force that is the supporter culture kind of being to the point where we're all kind of holding each other ransom for that game day experience. And fortunately, it's been able to work out in the positive, I think, in the long run. And I'm not going to lie. There is very few supporters cultures that rival what the Timbers Army has, and the and you said the 107 is that are the the arm of the polit, you know, for lack, it's kind of like I feel like it's Sinn, Fe- Sinn Fein versus um, the IRA. It's the, it's the political arm of the Timbers Army. Yeah, it's the one that can like actually write checks, right? It's the one that like takes in money and puts out money for for everything from like the ba- the like flags to you know just organizing people to plant trees on a Saturday. That sure. kind of thing. And, and and that to me is awesome. And 
and there and I'm not going to sit there and I'm not going to bag on section 8 because they're I feel like over my time as a season ticket holder their role in the club culture has diminished and I'm gonna, my opinion is and I know it's not necessarily a popular opinion is for section 8 which is the Chicago the over the group that has all the supporters groups that fall in under it, it kind of I feel like some of it's self-inflicted but I don't feel the club has done them, themselves any favors in, in terms of trying to help the supporters culture. I think there, I feel the one thing that, that Twitter has been very valid about is the fire have taken the supporters culture in section eight for granted and section eight kind of flashed out back at the fire front office. And that's where, and I think it came to a head the last couple of years, but I do feel this year in, um, seeing Nicole hack and seeing um, Marty party and you're starting to see people that actually just care about rebuilding that culture again. And it's amazing to see some of the things they do. Uh, I, I can remember God, every week there's, you'll see something from uh, Marty about the fire food drive, which is their big their section eight food drive, which is their ongoing thing all year. Hey, you know, we'll do this and throw in 20 bucks. All right, I did. He got me to do it once. Just all right, I had twenty bucks. Yeah, I could donate twenty bucks to feeding the homeless. But there's, it's like it's they're trying to rebuild that culture of inclusive and getting it back where instead of everybody being antagonistic with the front office, what can they do to build, rebuild those bridges? And I don't envy any of them. They, it's it's a really hard job to rebuild what was lost with how many, you know, with all, over the last few years. And does this does it suffer because of it? Yeah, the atmosphere is not the same as it was. But at the same time, you know, at the same time, do you feel there's an obligation of the supporters group to make sure they're playing by the rules instead of being antagonistic to the front office when the team isn't good, I guess? Right. Um, so, I mean, I guess that's kind of a question. I mean, I, I guess Portland with the Timbers, you haven't seen that as much, but... You, what when when things aren't going well? Do you start antagonizing the front office and Merritt Paulson, or do you? Well, try you and get say, the the same backlash on okay. social media. You get the same uh, vocal minority. Um, but you know, like you, it, it, it's always split. You know, like I'm sure the the what is it the CF ninety six CF ninety seven the that hashtag yeah. It's probably always split between people that are just like, you know, maybe disenchanted with their game day experience or actually have a legitimate question or concern about, you know, this the product of soccer that's being put out on the field. Um, I feel like we get that same thing. Okay. You know, like, you know, are people going to be uh, having the same game day experience at the Timbers home games if it's a nil-nil draw every time? No. There's going to be less smoke. There's going to be less uh, this certain chant. There's going to be less, um, you know, ecstatic confetti throwing. You know, there's going to be less beers sold in a sense. Um, So I think, you know, ultimately we all need our team to succeed, whether it's for like that game day experience or um, or just the revenue of it being a successful club. Sure. Um, it's a, it's a matter of like, honestly, I say this, and a lot of my friends say it too, we don't watch soccer to be sad, you know? 
we no, watch it to just enjoy that experience of participating in it or enjoy just kind of like watching it and understanding uh, the flow of a match, you know, whether it be for good or bad of the team we support. And, and now, and now you, I feel like that you and I agree on wholeheartedly. Now, like I said, I've, as long as I've been, I've been a season fire season ticket holder since 2010, I, I started following them back when I was still at the university of Minnesota in night in their first season, which was 1999, the second half of 99, I was a season ticket holder. I would drive up from Champaign, which is two hours south for games. And so I've been, I mean, I've watched the fire forever and I've watched the culture, supporters culture grow, starting from the original supporters group, which was the barn burners. And then there was the ultras, which were like four sections old over. They put them all in one section and I watched that grow into section eight now, the story of Section 8, I don't know if you have know why the, the fire supporters group are called Section 8. It was Section 8 was at Soldier Field, pre-renovation, what you see now on TV, Soldier Field. It was the section that was the cheapest tickets, but it was the closest to the center of the field. That's where section, the barn burners camped out the first year, and that's where they started putting them. And that was under, it was actually Section Number 8, and that's where that stems from. All right. So and you guys have, but you guys have multiple supporters uh, groups. There right? are like independent yeah. supporter groups. There are independent supporters group that that fall under the umbrella of Section Eight. That's the one that has the the dialogue with the front office. They they manage the tailgate parties, and I believe in. And I haven't been a part of the supporters. I I will admit I've been out of the supporters culture for years. You know, it, since since then I've, I've been a dad since 2012. You know. I, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to have my, my, you know, my oldest is seven. He's not going to go over and hang out at a Section 8 tailgate party. I, there's just a lot of things that I don't want him exposed to yet. Will he be exposed to it? Sure. Do I want him to be hang, hanging out in Section 8 and jumping and having a blast with him? Absolutely, at some point, when he doesn't want to hang around with Dad anymore. Right. <laughs> not right now. <laughs> but not right now. Not at seven, you know. Um, but it's one of those things that, they um that so i've been out of that loop so i haven't seen but i have watched it from afar and i've watched on social media as it's kind of where it, it built up and then it started started fizzling out there was one year you know, they were, you, go ahead i'm sorry well and what my question is always is you know on like even with dc united and um some more of these east coast teams you guys have multiple independent supporter groups mm-hmm. that maybe maybe they fall under an umbrella but my question is always is that to the benefit of your supporter culture or the or the detriment because we don't have that here in portland we have timbers army and it's basically timbers army there is no other independent supporters group to rival it or um or help or um, diversify it or anything like that. It is one that falls under an umbrella, and from the outside, it, it looks like it, it. That's a good thing, but sometimes there are some detriments to that um, because you know not everybody is represented by this white bearded IPA drinking demographic of soccer culture in Portland. There is some diversity within that very stereotypical uh, set of people. Um, 
you know, and I, I'd love DC United be a f- uh, fascinating conversation to have with somebody from there. And I used to know people on big back in big soccer days that I don't really communicate as much with as, as since I've moved over more to Twitter away from big soccer. But DC United was like three supporters. It was um, La Norte, Bar Brava, and Screaming Eagles. And I believe each one of them, they were like the three major groups. And I think they all had collectively worked at the front office. But I don't yeah, know. How I, I, think, I think LA, both LA, LA teams, maybe their supporters groups, they have multiple ones. And that, mm-hmm. I mean, some of it is that they have like a Latino one. They have, you know, then they have like the, the crazier one. Sure. And they maybe have like the more like family oriented one. Um, and that. And the fire and the fire had that. I mean, originally, like I said, the big two were the barn burners. That was the more family oriented, um, suburban type. And then uh, the ultras were the other one. That was uh, that was Polish. That was wall to wall Polish people. And I like that the barn burners was your guys's chill family one. <laughs> that, was, that was the one I started with. I was number one ten in, in the Just barn. Just a good, good old barn burning. And well, when you think of Chicago Fire, it was started. Barn caught fire <laughs> when O'Leary's cow kicked over kicked over a lantern. Oh yeah, that, I mean yeah. you get into the lore. That's kind of it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, and and I think where where I don't know if I, I don't necessarily know if I blame the front office, but I watched people that I was friends with in the barn burners get so disillusioned by it by the fire. But what I wonder is how much of that toxicity is because of Twitter. You hang out on Twitter long enough, you follow the CF97 hashtag, it is incredibly toxic. And how much of that do people start taking as that's reality as opposed to it's a game. Like you spoke about earlier, it's a game. We go, we have fun. You want to go have fun watching soccer. Yeah. And when you get back to the basics, and again, like I said, I'm a dad. I, I've got a seven-year-old. And most of the season, most of the games we go to, it's him and I. We sit and watch soccer. We talk soccer. It's fun for him and I. Whether they win or lose, he's happier when they win. I'm happier when they win. But if they don't, I still have fun just being in the being there with him. And getting back to that basics as a fan of what is the purpose? Is it if they lose, do I have to be that mad? Or is it... My life goes on one way or the other. I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll yeah. lay this out there, TJ. The purpose of soccer is to move society forward. And that's win or lose or draw. If that's from, like, a grassroots level, from, like, a community organizing level, from, like, a, oh, man, like, the the Barcelona supporters groups are fighting Franco's fascists to, like, you know, uh, Egypt's ultras holding down to here square during the arab spring to like latin america wrestling imperial like white control from from like the oppressors by expressing themselves with like a beautiful poetic form of soccer like the point of soccer is to just move society forward to a better more just equitable place and that's why I watch it. Or in the case of Colombia, backwards with the two Escobars way back in the mid '90s, right? I mean, could yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you could, it, it can go either way. I guess it can, but you know, but yeah, the when you you were asking earlier, kind of go roundabout was the, the fire with multiple supporters groups. There are a half dozen or more supporters groups that fall under Section Eight umbrella, and again, 
and there's actually a whole second supporter section on the south it used to be on the north end and the southwest corner and that was um sector section 101 was sector latino and they were the ones that were banned last year and now they've they let them back in and it was interesting is we're going to let you back in but we're not going to let you stay in the same section you you don't you haven't earned that right so in having instead of having them in the southwest corner they moved them behind the south goal which has been underutilized for years so it's a it, they're still trying to rebuild themselves back up to where they actually want to be there again but that was the louder to me that was usually the louder the sections was sector latino and they were section 101 was the larger but there were even a couple of groups in there and then on the south end but I feel like that was the best thing the fire have done with their supporters groups is they have one now on each end of the stadium. So where the Timbers army is all on one end, now you've got to deal with the fire. If they ever developed winning and making that stadium full, now you've got both ends to contend with. Mm-hmm. I mean, I but so the thing you have the, the, the Timbers army. Okay. They're, mm-hmm. they're like one section, but yep. you think like most of those other tickets that aren't season ticket holders sitting in their sea every year or selling their season ticket, they're selling them to people in the Timbers army that can get a ticket to sit in the Timbers army. So you're getting a lot of overflow into the so-called family sections or casual sections in our stadium that are actually people overflowing from the supporter section. And if they could have been, they would be in this section standing and chanting for 90 minutes the whole time. Do, um, do, I, 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 I got to insert a question here. Do people around the entire park, do, I, I know the Timbers Army stand. How is the rest of the park? Do people sit? Do they stand? Oh, they sit and then stand when, like, you know, there's okay. goals and stuff. It would be more akin to, like, a, a Premier League match, right? People and, are sitting and they, sure. they stand up when something's happening. And I, uh, I just, the one time I, I haven't been to a Timbers game, not going to lie about that, but I have been to a Sounders game. Sounders lost, so you'd be happy about that. It was a year, God, it my three or four years ago now. They lost to Colorado when Colorado was the worst team in the league, so it was absolutely outstanding. But that the Sounders, the lower bowl of the stadium, everybody stands. It, it amazed me. I'm like, wait, there are people paying $100 for these midfield tickets, and they're standing too. They weren't necessarily participating, but they didn't sit. They were standing and watching. I'm like, I thought that was absolutely pretty outstanding for that for that stadium. Now, and like I said, they lost the game. It was, I appreciated that. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure they pay them to stand. I don't know. The dude. All I know is the dude in front of me, where I'm there with my. I think Charlie was three or four then. Um, oh God, I wish I could remember how many years ago. But it was. He's standing on the chair, so or whatever, so I can't see. I can't get Charlie to see around him, and it just. It made an absolutely awful experience for Charlie because I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. I had to hold him the entire game so he could see, and therefore my arm was jello by the end of it. Well, you know what they also do there? They wave their flag the whole time, even during the run of play. They do. Um, yeah. But you know what? But you you watch you watch a Bundesliga game. They do the, they do the same they do the same. I mean, thing. I'm I'm not saying that's cool either. <laughs> <laughs> you but see. But you, like, you did, like that. That's just a common like thing. Like I've watched soccer my whole life. Just don't wave a flag during the run of play. You just but wait before say, it's an, for the break. As an English, as an English expat, you, you want to watch soccer. I, I think when you get to maybe Seattle is what that's what they want to be, but the Bundesliga, they don't care. They just want to be there to party. Although if I lived in Germany, had the kind of beer they had all the time, 
I'd probably be hammered every time and not care what was going on in front of me. And one of just the flag wouldn't bother me. <laughs> I'd probably be fighting for the flag, maybe. <laughs> so, and you know, we, and anyway, so that uh, now is Portland. As long as they've been in the league, they've been good. But and, yeah, we've been okay. You haven't had. I don't. Maybe the first year. I don't remember really Portland having a terrible year. I mean, we haven't like ended like finished at the bottom of the table, but we've had a couple years not making the playoffs. Okay. Um, I mean, that bar becomes you know easy and easier to attain the more teams they allow into the playoffs. Um, well, I can remember that when they were expanding the expansion team, they came to. to um, I guess SeatGeek Stadium now, then it was Toyota Park, and they beat the fire. I do remember that. I'm like, yeah, this I've... is an easy point pickup. I'm like, and it didn't happen. I'm like, seriously, come on. <laughs> of course, Minnesota. Wait, weren't, weren't you guys, I think the fire were our first MLS game, wasn't it? Were, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. yeah, I think our inaugural home opener was uh, the fire. But um, I, feel, I feel like there was, a, for several years, the fire, if you had a new stadium you were opening or you were a new team, you had the fire on your schedule to start. Um, I can remember, uh, I want to say Red Bull Arena, the fire was broke ground. You know, it was like, there were three or four of them. like, really? Is this kind of like, and I'm, uh, I'm a Big Ten guy. I grew up watching Wisconsin, living in Wisconsin. I went to the University of Minnesota. But it seemed like for years, everybody scheduled their homecoming against Northwestern because Northwestern for years was terrible. I feel like that now. Then now, then it became Minnesota, and Minnesota was bad. Everybody wanted homecoming against Minnesota because it's an easy win. But I felt like for years that was the fire. Hey, we're just gonna have the fire because they've got great uniforms and well, they're beatable. So we're gonna schedule them. <laughs> I mean, and they, you know, they used to win a bunch of cups back in the day. What, Wait, do, what? haven't you guys won the most uh, U.S. Open cups out of like the major teams? Seattle tied us. Seattle. Oh, eventually. Yeah. That well, was that was depressing. Not going to lie about that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm bummed about that. But yeah, there was, um, what was the four, five open? I don't remember anymore. Because the first year, the, like I said, the 99 season, I went, and that was, they won MLS Cup. They they ended DC United's two-year run. And then the next the next Saturday, Friday or Saturday after that, so they win open, the Open Cup in LA. They come home or the MLS Cup in L.A., they come home that Saturday, and they they beat, God, was it Miami? In Miami or Columbus in for their first Open Cup, and it was that was an amazing atmosphere. I think the first one was Miami, the second one was Columbus when they beat, that they won their Open Cups, but it was, that was fun. I mean, so you've got a team, you know, kind of like I feel like that's a Premier almost like the Premier League. Hey, let's finish season, then we'll do the Cup Final after that. Let's bring everybody back. So, right. Um, well, hey, you mentioned. Um, oh, did you mention earlier? Oh, yeah, uh, Teddy, Tinfoil Ted. Tinfoil Ted. We, yeah. yeah, and I wanted. To, it's, what's your thoughts on pro rel? I am. <laughs> am I pro or am I rel? Um, I'm neither. I am. I'm not a pro rel guy. I'm not saying I wouldn't. I wouldn't embrace if it happened. Well, it's kind of like you're like I, you enjoy like I mean. Right now, like the structure is what it is. It's not going to change. No, I I enjoy promotion relegation in the leagues where I follow teams that enjoy promotion relegation. 
but in no way could I even say that it would save or help U.S. soccer well, in any way. And that, and that's what you, you you hit the nail on the head. U.S. soccer is a different – to me, it's a different world than England, than the United Kingdom, than Scotland, Italy, Germany. You're talking about countries that are the size of Wisconsin, for example. Right. Or, I mean, here's, here's the reality. Or places where, like, if the reality was promotion relegation – 70% of the clubs that people want to exist within promotion relegation are not financially viable next year and probably aren't clubs anymore. I mean, that's the reality of U.S. soccer right now. And we and we can go and we talked a little bit offline before we started about the, some of the structure of MLS and um, where that falls in. But the reality is you're the United States is an entirely different world than the United than Britain. You take away cable TV in Britain, London covers, you know, you think of it, the antenna from London, it probably covers most of the, I, you live there. Yeah. I mean, Liverpool, Manchester, London, you probably have TV stations that cover the entire nation. It's the size of, like, the Northwest. Like, everything. Like, there's no, like, it's, yeah, everything is the longest, right there. The longest trip is six hours. Yeah. I, if I want to go to Columbus, it's close to eight. I went to, I've, I've driven to Columbus for the Army. It's close to eight hours to drive to Columbus. And that's the close. And Minneapolis is seven. I mean, depending on how many times you stop, I guess you can do it in six. Even when St. Louis, when they come in the league, that's five, that's five hours. I mean, it, there's not the short drives. Therefore you have to look at TV markets that, and that's the revenue stream that MLS has not tapped into yet. Say what you want. I mean, they have not tapped into the media. That is the big, prize that everybody wants they want oh they just can't figure out how to like deliver it like streaming and make revenue i guess i thought mls live was going to be their way to go but it seems like they've reverted by like they just couldn't couldn't take the cost of the production value that they needed to just kind of like turn it I, into espn plus i think they i think they ch- they went a different route they looked because espn plus took the guys that were that were um that ran mlb.tv they brought in those guys and mlb.tv is really that's the front runner i think what mls decided was instead of trying to do mls live all the time and trying to keep it on their own platform bringing in each independent fee, they they kind of gave that over to espn espn plus said hey we're going to let you guys be in on the ground floor we're going to give you a show on every week we're going to but everything's going to be on espn plus i think it, I think MLS decided to embrace it as opposed to saying, well, we're going to fight that, you know, um, as since as Cincinnati and DC, how that's working out for them, you know, not using ESPN plus. Right. And it's, it's not a pretty picture. But, and then, but then again, you look at the fire who are all ESPN plus, you can't, you can't get have, games on. They have no local broadcast deal. Not anymore. No. And it, because the, the, what happened with Chicago was, ESPN Plus made them one of the, like they're paying them when they were getting time on Comcast, which is NBCSN or whatever they call it now. The Fire were basically renting that right. They got to, the Fire were buying the the time, and they were get but the Fire got to keep the ad revenue. Instead, the way it is now, ESPN Plus is actually giving the Fire money for the first you know one of the first times they've had that. 
So that's why they moved right. exclusively to ESPN Plus. Chicago well, Fire Ar- needs to figure out a way to like let people who live in Chicago watch Chicago Fire games. <laughs> and and I and that's funny. I, and I do want to do an entire show on that. I want to get see if I probably just need to reach out to Nicole Hack, Marty, maybe J- James Lacus, and, and just do a let's rebuild the fire. What kind of things can we do to rebuild the fire? And I thought that would be one of the things I would have said is um, if you're going to have it on ESPN Plus, and they should have done this the first last season, what I think was the first year, it was two seasons, I don't remember now. I guess last season was the first year of ESPN Plus, so it would have been last season. If you're a season ticket holder, here's a code, you get the entire season on ESPN Plus free. I get it. ESPN Plus is only five bucks a month. I pay it. I don't care. I watch so much soccer. I don't care. But that would have been a nice carrot for, hey, sign up for your season ticket. You get ESPN Plus for the year. You've almost yeah. paid for, you know, and that to me is you want to rebuild goodwill within the community. When I first things I started thinking about when what would I do to rebuild the fire within the construct of not what are things you can do that are how do they phrase it or. Simple act of contr- or simple acts of contrition without being a huge deal. What little things can you do to say, hey, we, may- we screwed up, but we're going to try and make it right. If they were to say tomorrow, buy a season ticket, you get ESPN Plus for the year. That To me, that doesn't sound like a bad deal in and of itself. Mm-mm. And but I bet you... Without I, blackout, with no blackouts. Well, no, the, because the Fire's home games are on ESPN Plus, or the oh, Fire's right. broadcast partner is ESPN plus I guess the upside is I when I watch a game I know where I'm always going to have um the fires broadcast team you know every game because they're that is their home you know it's not like they're taking the feed from Comcast or uh what Fox Sports they're using uh at altitude or any of the other ones they're using ESPN plus so that's everything see and so like the problem too is MLS's broadcasting rights are very fragmented right now. Right. And they do. Ha- I mean, they have the national contract. They have it with, what is it? Univision, Univision, Fox, ESPN plus or ESPN. That gets some national games. I think the challenge is I, there's not a lot of continuity as to when they, they are. And, right. it, and the time slots they have, I don't know are necessarily good. I think what Deportes has their game Saturday afternoon, and then ESPN and Fox, I think, are on Sunday, aren't they, for the most part? Yeah. Yeah, the Fox ones are mainly the Sunday games. But, you know, you're, you're saying, what, is, what do they have to do to capture the market? I don't know what – that's a hard question because what can you do in a saturated market? Where the difference between England, Spain, Italy, Germany, and the United States is all those other countries – Soccer is the sport. Soccer here started. Let's reality is I get I get it. You can look at there's history. You can go back. There's but the reality is right. well, it's rather than like have your other sport, you just have your like other club. You know, like I I, I follow a couple lower league English clubs, and that's because that was like the club that we could afford to go see when we sure. lived in England. You know. Um, right, no. What are your clubs? You, you, I know you're an Arsenal apologist. What are the other ones? Because I've always been uh, getting angry at Arsenal. Peterborough United uh, okay. and Plymouth Argyle, both in League One right now. That's the third division. Yep. Well, I know. I know where the third. 
because um, one of the, the teams that I that are on the lower level there, I've Dagenham and Redbridge is one I started following because I started using. Okay. On, I started using them on FIFA 10, I think it was. Nice. They had, the, they had the smallest budget. Hey, that's that to me is fun. Find the small budget and see if you can build them. And they have like a, one of the funnest names when you get down to the lower leagues. And they had the book that was uh, turning my back on the Premier League. It was uh, Manchester United fan became a Dagenham Red, Redbridge supporter. Now they have Tim Howard, Tim Howard and the uh, uh, Memphis ownership group are. They bought. I think that I think they're the primary owners of them of of them now. It's oh, an wow. East, it's an East London team that. So anyway, I start I get start getting in Dagenham and Redbridge. And the year I'm living in Arizona, my wife is living in Chicago, and so I have a one bedroom apartment and. I sleep on a futon. I all I did was had two captain chairs, a futon, and I played video games a whole lot. But that was the year Dagenham and Redbridge went to League One. They got promote. They made it in the playoffs. They got into League One, and then they went right back down. Um, but they didn't. They're they were so bad. They didn't have an online shop. I'm like, I want to buy a jersey. I've got money. To spend. Couldn't get any. Right. Couldn't find how to buy a jersey online for the life of me. Yeah. Look how far like League One's come now. Like I could watch uh, all our cart like Plymouth mm-hmm. Argyle matches. Like mm-hmm. I could buy a month and just watch it online. So just anyway, fun. so but Amazing. I do have a da- but I do have a Dagenham Redbridge jersey. How did I get it? I want I bought it on eBay. It was signed by somebody. I've worn it enough times the signature is worn off, but it was done to support a Lincoln. Um, is it Lincoln City? Lincoln City. I think it is. Yeah. And they were doing an auction for somebody or whatever, and I wanted it on eBay. And they're like, and then I, as I wanted, I'm like, wait, you guys don't ship to the U.S. They go, no, we don't. <laughs> I said, I said, can I just, can you guys just charge me twenty bucks? Can I put in twenty bucks extra and you guys will ship it? They're like, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> so that I, I got Dagenham Redbridge jersey through Lincoln City. So now I like Lincoln City, and they've gone from the last several se- last few years, they went from the. Ch- um, the National League back to League Two, and then this year they're going up to League One. So they're yeah. going back. Congrats! They're going, they're the jump, yeah. Yeah, I think Again, Plymouth got... is gonna is gonna make the sink, and uh, Peterborough making a fight for the last playoff spot, but probably not gonna make it in there. Yeah, the Daggers I think are hanging on. They're in like 18th of the National League. Yeah, they got promoted. They got relegated out of the English out of the foot out of the football league, and then. Um, Lincoln City's gone, like I said, now they're going up to League One. They, they, I think they found an investor is what happened. Is that the most random kit you have? Dagenham no. and Redbridge? No. All right, what do you got? What's your favorite most random kit? Well, what, what do you define as random? I mean, that's... I don't that, know. That's a six, team that you wouldn't question. support unless you had their kit? Hmm. I think everybody, of, if I have a shirt of theirs... I've at least used them on FIFA at one point or another. That would be probably the minimum in that sense. Um, I, maybe Clapton. You know, the, the, one of the soccer hipsters' favorite is Clapton. Huh. Uh, that re, re, they were. I found them from John Brown, and he's the one that kind of got me pushed out of them. They had. It's a club that's been one of the older clubs in England. I want to say it goes back to the 1870s, 1880s, and. They got a, they had a guy who bought them and took them private as opposed to a publicly owned team and pretty much ran them into the ground. Their home ground was the old spotted old spotted dog or something like that. And it was like a bar that was at one point a cabin for Henry, one of the 
or James, one of the Kings used to have a hunting cabin there. And it's, again, it's an East London type team. But so anyway, the supporters finally broke off and they started their own club this year. And I bought, I was able to buy a Jersey. This is, that was that conversation between John and I, I've got a Jersey. He doesn't, he's pissed about it to this day. Um, but they, their, their change kit is mod, modeled after, I want to say, like the Spanish Revolution or something like that. But the jersey exploded. Like, it Wait, took a, is it that purple one? With yep. Like, oh, yep. yeah, I'm looking at it right now. That's a fantastic kit. It wow. absolutely, I have the home one. I have the red and white one. But this is a first-year club, and it's supporter run. It's completely a trust. It is not – and – but their jersey blew up, and it took off because of that. It, they had jer- orders coming from all over the world. They filled all the orders, and then said, "Screw it, we can't sell outside of the outside." I of the bet. So, most random. Probably a lot like a Madison, Madison FC. They've they or they've uh... they 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 got it right. Yeah, and I, they're getting it right, right? I I will say I will give Peter Wilt all the credit in the world for starting clubs in the sense of. He was one of he was one of behind the Minnesota Thunder way back when. Um, actually, if you go back far enough, he's with the Milwaukee Wave indoor soccer. But in terms of in terms of jerseys and kits in the first year, he did the fires. The Chicago Fire was originally supposed to be the Chicago Rhythm. I don't know if you've ever heard that story or not. No. Peter Wilt said no. I want him to be, and they they're the ones that he was one of them that helped come up with the idea of the Chicago Fire after the a fire in the 1860s and whatever or whatever so yeah they were originally supposed to be the chicago rhythm after chicago's you know house of blues all that stuff but he made them the chicago fire and if you I ever like the back, rhythm it was I, I don't think it would have been as bad but it was it was a very 90s mls type t- name yeah, yeah 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 it would have fit for a 90s mls but the original jerseys they were amazingly good by night they had nike on them um when he left there he went to the Red Stars and got them, you know, or eventually he he went to the Red Stars, founded, helped start the Red Stars. And they've had amazing jerseys really since day one. The Red Stars have gotten that right. Um, he went to Indy 11 and instead, you know, and Pierre Wilt for thinks outside of the box in this sense. I don't know if this is all him or whatever is with Indy 11, he originally used Diodora as their kit maker. And they were, I've got an Indy 11 jersey. They're amazing. It had like a checker inlay pattern. I'm like, you want to acknowledge Indy? Oh, yeah. You, you nailed that. Those are their he, inaugural kits? Yep. I got one. Yeah, I those think were great. Your second year. Yeah. And then, then he moved on to Madison and for, for Madison and the Flamingos. And that the fact that that's just was a running joke in Madison. They embraced it. They've made it their own. Their jerseys are phenomenal. He used Hummel. He goes outside the box to do kits. Um, so, but randomness, I, I don't know. Um, Union Berlin might be considered random. I have a, a Ch- uh, Charleston Battery because that was my son, one of my son, the first team of my sons that I coached. The, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, it's co- you know, like the... I've been to some Charleston Battery uh, games back in the day. I lived in Charleston. Me and a, a good friend who, you know, we follow Arsenal and Dimmers together our whole lives. Uh, sure. Went to some Battery games at Blackbot Stadium back in the day when oh. we lived down there going to college. Um, no, it, but the Charleston Battery, my the first year I coached my son, that was the Park District was using USL team names for, for the pre-K teams, and this was Charleston Battery. 
And his team was made up of all kids that went to Catholic schools. So Catholic schools. And the jersey, yeah. black one said Holy City FC. I'm like, you talk about perfect. I thought that was an excuse to get with my <laughs> wife. My wife yelled at me, and I still got it anyway. Um, and I'm looking at them. My jersey collection I have. See, the team I haven't talked about much at all tonight is Guernsey. And um, they're on the eighth level of the English football. I mean, they're, so they're way down the food chain. But it's a team off the island of Guernsey. Conceptually simple. They play, they're trying to work their way up. They've been promoted twice. They almost got releg. They were in a relegation scrap this year. And, you know, it's like every, the pro rel heads kind of to bring that full circle. Oh, you're more inclined to watch. No, it didn't make me want to watch more when they're about to be relegated. I watched them because I like watching them. I don't watch them, not watch them or watch them because they're winning or losing. A fan watches one way or the other. Yeah, I think pro rel heads don't understand that there's like a real risk and like finality for some teams that get relegated. Like teams don't always like, and, and also too, oh man, you know what really bothers me is it's, it's the like, oh man, you know, like U.S. Cubs need like the same opportunity to what? Like become Manchester City? And just use Saudi Arabia, like, you know, like, oil dirty, money to dirty buy oil. fucking, like, championships? Yeah. Is that, that's the opportunity that we want? No, I don't. Close the system. Make it what it is right now. I don't Monaco. care. But Look at Monaco, PSG, Man City. It. Exactly. The, orig- like, the original dirty money, Chelsea. I mean, those Chelsea aren't was- fun things that are happening over there, and those supporters don't feel good about it. And you can tell when you see it in their stands, like how sterile and just uh, ugh it is. Like that isn't really what they want. I think that they just, you know, a lot well, of it is they're so- just like the disgruntled RCTIDs or CF ninety seven people. They just need something to be upset or rally against. Because well, they don't have something that they can get behind. As an Arsenal, as an Arsenal apologist that you are, Stan Kroenke owns the team. How do you? Fe- I mean, how do? You, how does that? Right. The worst money, thing that's not- happened is that he has like the majority share, like control now. It's it's terrible, you know. But I mean, you know, at least I can say like I can still get behind what's happening with the club. There hasn't been other than having an inept owner. You know, well, it, it's it, not like we play dirty football or we're like it, a dirty club or have a history of being pieces of shit or have or have fans sure. who are racist or anti-Semitic. You know, like oh, that's yeah. not our story. No, it isn't. Um, no, you guys are the ones that are um, what what what's perpetually underachieving. Fe- well, you, you were good for a while. Fever pitch. <laughs> but no, let me let me let me. I, I want to kind of stand Stan Kroenke, and I wish I had Chris on here too because he's an Arsenal apologist. He'd probably fight back on me on this one. So Stan Kroenke comes in, he buys a team. He's he's, he's Walmart money, but he runs it like a business as opposed to a, you know, as to just a toy like like PSG, like Man City, where they'll dump money in hand over fist. Right. So but he, Kroenke, there's nothing Kroenke he Kroenke dumps money in into. For, what's that? He doesn't dump money into any of his sports investments. No, he – well, I don't necess- know if that's necessarily the case. I feel and, – and I'm probably the only one who thinks this way with Stan Kroenke. I wonder how much he leveraged himself out to build that stadium in L.A. I mean, it's, what, $2 billion that he's spent? You really don't have money to spend else. I get it. He's got 
five ten billion, but how much of that is assets? How much of it's liquid? And that liquid assets had to be pushed towards that that project in L.A. He's building, and before that, was he the owner when they built the Emirates? I mean, also I've ever no. All I've ever heard though is the debt service on on the Emirates was why they never real that why they had to take the shitty deal with Puma for their jerseys, and that's why yeah. they had to take that money to get it. It up set us back like a good five years. I feel like, but I, mean, I, I don't think he was gorgeous. The stadium's beautiful, right? But um, yeah, and I don't I don't think he was he was in charge there at that but, point, or like I mean, he certainly wasn't the majority owning but he when he bought into it they were still paying the debt service on that stadium yeah i feel like so if you're paying the debt service on it you really don't have a ton of you're not gonna sit there unless you want to drive yourself into the ground you're not going to spend money hand over fist and that's pretty much i feel like the same way as fenway sports group is with liverpool i feel like that's how the glazers are with man united hey if you can find a way to make more money i'll let you spend it but you got to find the ways to make more money i'm not just going to run myself into debt to do it because I have debt services I have to pay. The Glazers for, you know, as much, say what you will about Manchester United, they've never really said you can't go sp- spend money. If you want to spend money, you've got to either find a way to make money or you have to sell somebody to do it. Right. Where like, you have like, a lot of other clubs that are just spending money to win the trophies and not earning any money. Like man, like you said, man, you know, you man city PSG, those that run Chelsea, those that have run afoul of the financial fair play, which is really, really, a we- really, really, really weak salary cap. I mean, where MLS has said from the get-go, hey, we're going to – we're not going to let you spend yourselves into the ground. That's why we're – to me, we're the pro-rel guys. Well, they say that because they can't because they uh, that would be spending themselves into the ground. Well, but that's – I mean, you have to have a cap because it's all – you're running a business. You can't just let one franchise destroy the rest. But they can. I mean, you've got guys that have the money to do that. You look at Arthur. Well, they Blake. let they let some franchises destroy themselves. That's for sure. But the one thing I'll say about MLS is they've, and that's that's the other part of single entity that I don't think people fully understand. It protects the owners from themselves. You got to remember these guys. And you know this as well as I do, Bog, is that these guys are captains of industry. These guys are competitive as hell. They will spend themselves into the ground to win it. And by putting those safeguards in place, it keeps the it keeps the playing field more level, which everybody calls it lame. I think it just it keeps people interested a lot longer versus, you know, for example, if you're a what um, a Bournemouth fan, you might sneak into Europe at some point. Well, probably not. You're a mid-table team. I, it, you still love watching them, but you know you don't have a chance of winning. Where in a salary cap-driven league like the NFL, like Major League Soccer, in theory, there's a lot. If you spend your money wisely, if you you have a chance, yeah, you have a chance, and it's it is a lot on development. It is a lot on how 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 much can you. You know, squeezing water, you know, squeezing a stone for water. For I, mean, lack of I, I don't want a league where, you know, like the the thing that is what most teams are trying to achieve is just like um, mediocrity, because that's what happens in a lot of the top leagues in Europe. Is you get to this place where you're financially dependent on this certain like level 
where you don't want to take the risk enough to win it all because taking that risk is going to cause you to fall out of this certain bracket and then face expulsion into this other economic bracket where you'll never be able to get back to that place. So you have a lot of teams that their entire season goal is ninth, tenth place. It's that's because perfect. you're because you're safe. You're not going to get. Yeah, you're not looking at relegation. That's survival. And, and like that is not fun for well, a supporter, a culture, or a fan group. Really. Well, I was gonna, and I'll go a step further. What was um, West Ham wasn't? Didn't they? Was it West Ham or was it West Ham? Got into the Europa League. And it nearly knocked them. Out. It nearly wiped them out um, because they it was they had to expand their payroll to try and play all those fixtures. And well, yeah, you're you know, getting like 15 extra matches a year with that, um, needing to compete against these other teams. Uh, yeah, it could, it could like break break a club. I mean, not saying that like you know we have our Champions League and stuff. I'm just saying it's not as cut and dry as. Oh, American clubs need opportunity. Um, I don't think there's uh, there's a lot of opportunity for clubs that are outside of the top four in any major league in Europe, and that's because there's too much money that's available for them well, at their disposal. And if you look at way, the way Europe is going, and I know Juventus is the mouthpiece of this, but I know they're not the only ones. It's what the, the league of twenty, the gang of twenty, or whatever the big clubs of the world that they want to close off the champions league. Right. They want to have it where they can make more money, you know, and, and I, and I've talked about this on this show and I don't remember if it was with Chris or if it was with John and, um, when sports business became a sport in and of itself, the, when you start spending, you know, how much time have we spent talking about business of sports versus just talking about what's going on on the field, which clubs do we watch? Because it's, you kind of lose that. And, I feel like, but one of the, the upsides of MLS is the business behind it is th- there's a lot more chance for the field to matter because the business, every the costs are a little more controlled. You can't see somebody spend wildly out of control. And when they do spend wildly out of control, when they go looking for, you know, a star from Europe or whatever, they... They're limited. They can't do that with their entire team. They can't go Man City on the league. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think we're in an interesting point where we're going to see if kind of like this MLS model can sustain itself because we're getting to a point where the expansion fees aren't coming in as fast as the operating losses league-wide. And we're going to know whether this thing can really sustain itself. Um with, you know, Houston Dynamo attendances versus Portland attendances versus, you know, uh, absent supporter cultures versus, you know, manufactured supporter cultures in place that places that it didn't exist before until, you know, the MLS wanted to come in and make it a third rail. Sure. <laughs> are you, are you, is that a shot at Atlanta? Is that where you're going with that one? <laughs> yeah, or, or New York City FC. And... You're you talk about dirty again. It's it's what is is it? Uh, is that are they? Is that that's not Saudi money, is it? Uh oh. Well, they're Man City money. Yeah, they're just the that's, same. Is thing. that Saudi? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I can't remember what. It couldn't remember off the anyway. But the you know, it's one of those. It's like why did they put a second team in without a stadium in New York? 
Because they needed a hundred million dollars of an expansion no, they fee did. to like operate. They didn't. They didn't need it. Uh, no, they did. And that. And that's where I. I will disagree in fighting. The expansion fees. Don't think of the expansion fees as the pyramid. And that's the biggest flaw of anybody who talks promotion relegation. No, it's not. It's just that that it is, is the cut- the, that they- was the major revenue stream for MLS that year. That was where they they increased their revenue. The greatest was because they created a team in NYCFC. No, and I and I don't think it has anything to do with the expansion fee. I think what it had to do with is TV. I so think there, but like, there was nothing. I think like, so, so when did when did NYCFC like pay their hundred million dollar expansion fee? There's not a single revenue stream that gives MLS a hundred no. million dollars in one single calendar year. Wait, now you're but taking, an expansion you're fee. That, but you're taking that hundred million and you're divvying it up. If you look at how much that really plays to each team, that's not the Oh part. yeah, yeah. We all got a bit. Yeah. That's but, a, every, what, everybody what gets you, a little bit of our gate because we sell out had, every Portland game. What you had to look at is you had Man City name, Man City money. You had New York New York Yankees name. And a little bit of Yankee money. Not much. But you also had TV coming up, and now you have a second team in the biggest media market in the world that's actually playing in the city and not playing in New Jersey. As much as I love what Red Bulls do in the sense of Salzburg, Leipzig, that they've kind of they have an a brand and they're trying to play to everything, they didn't capture the city. They have a beautiful I, I, stadium they can't fill. They have an amazing and, and uh, Chris and Pat from. U.S. Fan Team, they've both been there. They said it is absolutely an amazing place to go. The problem is, is it's in New Jersey, and it's not in the city, and that's where NYCFC came in. With them being in New, with Red Bull being in New Jersey, there was an opportunity to get something in the city, and I think they felt, I think the the lot, think about if you're MLS lot, this is MLS, if I'm Don Garber and I'm at the board of, so you've got Man City money coming in and saying, hey, we want a team. We want to play in New York City. And you've got more money than God. Let's face it, for for you know the Saudi money, that, that exists. Hey, we can get a stadium. With all the money they have, you don't have a reason to doubt any of this. The problem with Man City money and they didn't realize is building New York is absolutely a nightmare. And that's where they couldn't do it. And for all this talk about these urban stadiums and all that stuff, building in these cities is really hard to do in some cases. Chicago being one of them, New York being these legacy cities that are some of the largest in the in the country. Building in the city, you have to stumble onto something. Those stadiums, those plots of land don't exist that easily. LAFC fell into one because the the Clippers had moved to Staples Center and the sports arena was just basically a hole in the ground they wanted to get rid of. And Portland, without the minor league baseball stadium, where would they be? They'd probably be in the suburbs. Oh, and I, it wouldn't it wouldn't work there. Maybe, it would not work there. Probably it might not. No, it, but maybe I don't know. <laughs> I my young my younger brother. I mean, I, I, it, it, it wouldn't. Story. I could tell you, TJ, I wouldn't be there as much. Mm-hmm. You know. And, I'm not disagreeing with you. I, my younger brother and his wife almost moved to Portland a few years ago. And he just I said... Mean, it, it's centrally he's like, located. He's like, it's a beautiful city, but he goes, getting around that city is is hard. If you don't live in the city, you're almost... Right. 
where Chicago, I live thirty mile I live thirty miles west of the city. I don't think anything of it. You know, I getting in and out of the city isn't hard. There's enough freeways to get there. I'm not navigating across rivers, bridges, and you know. I mean, not- I, I live ten, 10 miles from downtown. I can walk five minutes from my house, hop on a light rail train, and be sure. dropped off at the stadium. Yeah, where and that and then again back to the beginning of the conversation with Bridgeview is, you can't do that. But for me, I live in the suburbs. It's 30 minutes for me to get there by car. The, the one of the one of the things I do love with the club is they. Part of my season tickets is I get my parking pass paid for. But instead, what they needed to do is instead of embracing, you have to come from the city. Do what Milwaukee, the Brewers did in Milwaukee. Do what the Packers do. Embrace the tailgate culture. Make the tailgate the thing. Come out there early. Open the lots early. Come out here. Grill your stuff. Drink. Stay after. Hang out. Drink some more, grill some more, embrace that culture versus trying to capture the city. And that's. Well, yeah, make people want to come out there regardless of what their transportation situation is going to be. Or, or where if you're going to do a car, you, you're going to bring a grill and set it up in the parking lot. They kick the ball around. You're going to listen to music and embrace that culture versus trying to capture the audience that isn't necessarily there. I, you know, so. I don't know. It's um, pro rel. No, I'm not. It, but like I said, it, the thing with the the US, kind of to summarize that one is there's just too many other things that MLS MLS is not going to have the TV contract to be as self sustaining. When you have to compete with the NHL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, the NFL, college football, yeah, there's a lot of other things where. You look at some of the big four in the world, the other big leagues in Europe, they don't have to compete with that stuff. You know what? There's a lot more important than promotion relegation in this world in this time. And again, but when you're starting, when you're starting to capture trying to look at TV money. Okay. So Phoenix, now now Phoenix rising would have been, would have been wonderful, but let's just take the top two teams in USL last year, Louisville city, Phoenix rising. And let's get rid of the, you know, I don't remember who had the the, wood, the wooden spoon last year. Was it San, San Jose had the wooden spoon, I think. I don't remember who else, but so take so you replace San Jose, which is the Bay Area, with Phoenix would have been fine, but Louisville. I mean, a, a, an Orlando City Louisville City matchup isn't one that is going to grab a national TV audience. New York and LA captures audience. Portland against Seattle captures an audience. Now let's say the Timbers go on a rash of injuries and they become the one that are relegated. You've now taken one of the best cultures out of MLS because of relegation. And TV eyes aren't going to turn in for Indy 11. As much as I love them, Pittsburgh Riverhounds. Right. They're, they just don't. Let me stop you right there, though, TJ, because sure. I don't give a shit if people care if MLS is on TV or not. So I would still be as drawn and as intense about us playing, you know, whatever Bush league USL team it was in our relegation battle. So it's like less about, you know, like, and, and there is like a terror because I want, I guess it's, it's half and half. 
like I don't give a shit if MLS is is successful, but I guess I also need MLS to be successful. But but when you're looking at MLS, but but also too, I've supported Arsenal my whole life, and I've never given a shit about the Premier League. Nobody that supports a club in England is like, oh, what what about the Premier League like uh, TV revenue for the Premier League? No, we're like, how much do we get for being on TV? How much do we get for this and that? How much is our kit sponsorship? You know, there's not none of the collectivity of an entire league. True. Um, but the, kind of muddying the waters with it all. But that's but the reality the, the of being an MLS. The difference is, though, get, Bog, is that you start looking at it. I'm old enough to remember, and I get it, my kids aren't, and there's a whole lot aren't, that watch the NAS, the, NAS, the original NASL run itself into the ground. That's why the league matters. Yeah. We, there was a gap of from when NASL <laughs> went, one went into the ground and Major League Soccer was came out of um, the World Cup. So there was a gap of no you know, major presence and people remember that. And that's why I think the league matters in that. All right. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll go one better though. Okay. Sure. No, the timbers matter and the league matters more because of the timbers. So we matter to the league. So that's where I stand, I guess. But in so the the league doesn't matter to me as much as we matter to the league in reality. Yeah, but then the counter is, were the Timbers filling up the park when they were in it, when they were a USL team? We were filling it up enough to... Obviously get on the radar, yeah. Yeah, to wager, you know, all told $100 million in public and private funding to <laughs> renovate a stadium to create this... Thing how that bad, we have now. Let me ask this question. How badass is that stadium going to be once this new renovation is done? I mean, I hope pretty badass. It, uh, from what I can see on the pictures that I've seen, it looks like I'm like, this thing is going to be awesome. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it what, should be a pretty what, nice. It was nice before. But what you adding more what you guys have done with port with uh, was it Providence Park? And yeah, the other one, I the other baseball stadium I really like what they've done with is Al Lang down in Tampa. It's like you guys have done some awesome stuff with the baseball park, and that's that's amazing stuff. But yeah, soon it will be no more baseball park, even like remnants. It won't even no. Yeah, <laughs> you guys are working, and that's that's amazing. It's turned completely into soccer, and that's that's outstanding. I do want to I want to finish. We've been in almost seventy minutes, but I do want to finish with this because when the fire hired Valkopanovic, the name that there were two names that I felt like got away. One is. Mark DeSantos up and now who's now up in Vancouver, and the other is Gio Savares, and you guys have him. Yeah. Give me your feedback on. I I th- I'm like when 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 they were looking for I'm like you've got to get Savares. This guy can coach, and I get it. It's NASL. It's the Cosmos, but you could tell he knew what he was doing. What? No, your- he, he he has. I like. I love the culture of background that soccer he comes from. Um. It's it's refreshing um, to have diversity in our coaching staff as well. Um, sure. You know, to have uh, English as a second language, I think, has been very beneficial for some of our players coming in. I think we've had talent in the past that has been lost in kind of the cultural immersion transition aspect 
of the game and the league, um, which is sad. And I think probably still happens with a lot of clubs. Um, just guys who just aren't picking up the language, who aren't understanding, who aren't getting what they need from like a coaching staff that isn't, you know, versed in, you know, uh, people from other cultures or speaking to them directly. Uh, so that's been great. Uh, I think, I don't know, know if it's a Portland Timbers thing, uh, or anything, but just like Caleb Porter, Porter, like some of these MLS coaches just, they're like late game subs, uh, you know, defy belief sometimes their lack of plan or a uh, tactical acumen when it comes to like changing a matchup late in the game. Sure. Um, is that what, is that what you feel Savarese's weaknesses? Yeah. A lot of the okay. time okay. you're just like, well, you know, it's not like we have a, a really great uh, depth of bench or any MLS team really does. But, you know, certainly this year, I think it's been less about Savarese. I think he's done a good job with what he has, but, it's more of like our front office is Merritt Paulson, a known, petulant, rich crybaby. Uh, Gavin Wilkinson, <laughs> uh, somebody who has learned his entire job and industry on the job and is a self-proclaimed president of soccer operations. And a bunch of guys who were former players who were hired into jobs that they are learning how to do on okay. the job. You know, that's how we're, we're running with things. As a, as a Timbers fan, do you miss do you miss uh, Merritt Paulson on Twitter? Uh, I do. You know, he's always been a good follow. <laughs> he, was... he, he, like, for some reason still follows me when he's on there. I get some good stuff from him on my DMs sometimes, him just, like, hopping in and uh, and going on a thread and a, and a tangent with me. So I always kinda, appreciate kinda, him. I want to say kind of like this, just he – Jumps in once in a while, just talk soccer. Yeah, and I would say if anybody out there wants uh, an unfiltered Merritt Paulson on Twitter, follow the owner of Peterborough United, the Posh's owner, because he okay. is somebody who is like unfiltered like Merritt Paulson, but actually owns his club. Okay. So he is not shy about, quote, tweeting people's opinions about his transfer processes. Uh, he's a great, great follow. All right, and... Um... I guess I got a couple more questions and then we'll kind of wrap this up. Cause like I said, this is going, I could do this forever, but like I said, that's the whole, the whole concept. But um, the, my next question is, we, we talked a little bit about earlier. It was how to rebuild the fire a little bit. We didn't get too deep into that, but some, you know, I had said, you know, something simple like um, offering ESPN plus to, for new season ticket holders. Hey, we're not on TV. You're a season ticket holder. We're going to give you something for it. So you guys have Timbers too, which what would be a way as as a supporter of the you know Timbers Army guy? What would be a way for the club to try and capture some of the excitement that you see at Providence Park? How would you how could you and at Thorns games? How would you capture that for T two? Is there a way to do it? Man, they kind of already have. So a lot of the T2 games are played up at Merlo Field, which is the University of Portland Park. That's like sure. a natural gas grass pitch. It's kind of a really nice venue. But it has a, like an on-field little supporters kind of like terrace uh, along one of the side stands. And that is kind of like a general admission T2 area with a little bit of a Timbers Army, who goes and just kind of like organizes there with a little bit of drums and chanting and stuff. Sure, um, so but it's, it's it's already there. I guess I guess where I was kind of going was, 
you know, and I, I can remember I was watching a Galaxy 2 game a couple of seasons ago. And they're like, tickets start at $15. I'm like, $15? You're charging a minimum of 15 bucks to get into a, a for a two-team? I would think, and this is kind of my thing, if, if they were to say, hey, Bog, you're, you have season tickets for the Timbers Army. What if we threw, you know, for, if you want to go to a T2 game, for every game it's... Two bucks, three bucks, five bucks, <coughs> or if you have a center, right. a center, you know, a midfield season ticket. If your season tickets are over five hundred dollars for the season, you get a free ticket to go to the Timbers T two game. Right. You have to turn it in so you get the the ticket. So you know there's I not. I think that you might get with a Timbers season ticket, you might be getting T two uh, access to all the T two matches as well. Don't quote me on that, but okay. that is probably a thing. And honestly, I think it's less about for T2 mimicking, um, you know, supporter culture. And right now about like T2 and those other like academy slash USL teams becoming an actual realistic academy ladder up to the first team. Because right now I think with it being MLS, with it being USL, with it being kind of like these uh, battling business entities to some degree and not a lot of like interflow between contracts and a lot of like stagnation between contracts, whether you're signed to USL or MLS sure. contract, that it's more important to kind of like focus on how this there's going to be free movement of players rather than supporter culture between the two leagues. Like we have to figure out a way to develop talent sure. and move it through like legitimate Academy systems um, before we figure out how to like move our supporter culture through I feel Different like we tears of the game. I feel like we should try and get John Townsend to do this again, and then we could talk about how to build, you know, an academy system and all that. Because when you talk about soccer minds that knows the game, John Townsend's one oh of the yeah, best. he's Great one of the guy. no, he he absolutely is. And I um, but I I, I was kind of going on that because I look at like T two and like you said, you guys use University of Portland, and that I I do like watching games that are, that are played on there, and occasionally they'll throw a game at Providence Park, and I think those are fun and um. But the one I, I look at, I'm like, and you talk about, again, we're, we've kind of brushed around Pearl Rel a little bit. If you're worried about staying mid-table, are you going to invest the kind of money that, like, Real Salt Lake did in building their complex with their USL stadium attached to it? You know, something like that, their academy complex. Would you drop 40, 60, 100 million in there when you're worried about just keeping yourselves afloat? <clears throat> you know, I, I don't I don't know. It really depends on like that ownership group. I think that ownership group, uh, especially with like what they're doing with the Utah Royals, um, really wants to do good by the game in the U.S. and really ha- seize an opportunity to not only make some economic moves that are going to benefit them, but also see some some things that are going to like yield sustainable growth in the future for the game. And the only way to do that is to buy like you know investing in this product that people seem to like in their region. Um, you know, speaking of like NWSL, uh, we're sp- speaking of like supporter culture, the thorns. Yeah. Amazing. You know, like oh, I, I go to a few matches every year. I try not to go to too many because I don't want to dilute the diversity of kind of like this amazing, original, unique, uh, supporter culture that is arising out of like the NWSL really LGBTQ inclusive, um, very racially and 
and, and gender diverse compared to the Timbers Army, which does tend to reflect Portland, which is a majority white bearded sure. city of men. Um, so it's very refreshing to see what the NABOSL is bringing to like the supporter culture um, everywhere from like Utah, you know, the Royals up to the, the Thorns. And then, you know, and then I, the Red Stars here, they, now they're back at SeatGeek, SeatGeek Stadium, Toyota Park, call it whatever you want to call it. But I can remember three or four years ago, they were out at Benedictine University, which was, which I'm probably the only one that was like, why the hell did you move? I get it. SeatGeek, they, they belong, they belong at SeatGeek Stadium, don't get me wrong. I'm just, my own selfish reasons, because Benedictine University was... Um, about two miles from the apartment I had and <laughs> there, and now it's about five miles from my house. So from my own selfish standpoint, I'm like, Hey, I would go to a lot more games, but I'm probably the only one that would. So, um, I will be the first one to admit I was, I'm late on getting into NWSL. I fully admit I am. And, um, I think, will will I be, you know, you hear people, well, I have a daughter. So now I care, now I pay attention to it. I'm going to be the one that says there is a bit of truth to that. I, I, I have two daughters now and I, um, my youngest, my middle daughter is starting to play soccer and I, I start. And, but when I sit there and I say, I've never been, never really paid attention as much to NWSL, but as I've had girls, and I started, I'm like, these are the role models. These are the people I want her to look up to. It's like, Dad, I want to be the next Sam Kerr. You know, yeah, or, or Le- yeah. Leah Williamson leading the Arsenal women to their league sure. title yesterday. Yeah, I, I saw. Yeah, Arsenal's women are amazing to watch. Um, and um, and you know, and it's funny is I started. Th- I this crossed my mind the other day because you hear enough people calling for Panovich's head, and I, I sit there from a, that perspective. I start looking at it, and I'm I'm going well. Um, they're coached right now by, I got, I'm going to kill the name, Corinne Yarse, I want to say, but at one point she also has managed, um, which team was it? It was Claremont foot in, I want to say league, the, the French second division, the fire got rid of Panovich. I would give her a call. Because I, you're, you're, if you're coaching France's, France's national team, you've coached in league, in league two. You're a qualified coach. I absolutely would give her a call. And you know, just in the sense of, is it a marketing play? Yeah, maybe. But she can also coach. It's kind of like you know, you get into that yeah. with like Becky Hammond with the uh, the Bucks interviewed her for at one point for the coach and GM actually. There's a point, you know, with the NWSL and when does it cross over? Absolutely, coaches should be. Um, you should look at women as well because their soccer oh, yeah. minds are a lot better than mine are, and and there are and they should be as well. And that's why. And, and say, a lot of the like, ways too, the play on the field, like they're playing a technically more cleaner version of mm-hmm. the game that isn't isn't like bogged down by all of like the bullshit of one male ego and two. 10 million, you know, like millions and millions and millions of dollars in contracts and just the size of the male game has reduced it down to like what it is. And you can see a lot of like purity and honesty in the women's game that you don't get to see on the Mm -hmm. pitch with like males playing it. It's, it's really a revelation, a revelation. And I I picked up on it 
probably last season was the first season I really started getting into it. It was the fire did a double header. They did. It was, they played the timbers, which is, I think when the timbers started taking off last year, it was like they beat the fire and then they started getting good and they made that run all the way to MLS cup. And then after that game, they had the thorns and the red stars. My wife was 39 weeks pregnant at that point. We had our, our last daughter <laughs> next, the following Monday. Was it two, or Wednesday? Wednesday, I guess. I don't remember. Yeah, I'm a bad dad that way. I admit it. <laughs> but anyway, that Saturday night, she's like, I'm not going to the game. I'm like, yeah, I got it. I took my three-year-old and six-year-old or five-year-old to to the to the Fire Timbers game, and then we stayed for the Thorns and the Red Stars. The only problem was it was probably about 35 degrees by about halftime of the Thorns game, and both my kids froze to death. And so we left. Oh, wow. I'm, but oh, yeah. It was it was the first Red Stars game I've been to, and I it was like I'm like this is actually fun to watch. And from there I'm like okay I've got to start watching this more, and I I would watch more and more online and whatever. And then this with ES again we're kind of bringing it all the way back to ESPN Plus. We had the Australian Women's League, the W League, and I became uh, Perth Glo- Perth Glory I think it was mm-hmm. Sam Kerr's team Sam Kerr's team in in Australia that she played on. And all the other other, other internationals were Red Stars players. So I'm like, that's my team. So I would watch them when they're on late. Because if they were starting game, it'd start about now. Oh, yeah. They they have some pretty pretty early ones over there. Yeah. And, well, over middle of the night there. But they would start about now. So I would watch them when they would be on it now. So, yeah. And from there, I'm like, all right, I've got to make more effort. Because I more of an effort to watch women's soccer because you like you said it's technically it is easy it is technically superior it, you can watch the technical ability the strategy a lot better and mm-hmm. to me uh, and from a soccer junkie standpoint that's appealing to me so yeah i yeah. definitely agree with that so if anything everybody out there watch the women's world cup this summer should no, be lit no kidding no kidding it's going to be absolutely amazing with england being good france australia the united states it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. and their kits, all of their kits. It's hands down going to be one crap, of like, the most look? aesthetically beautiful they World are... Cups that have happened. And the U.S. didn't go with the lime green. So, yeah, I'm definitely a fan of the kits. When they showed them all together, I'm like, oh, my God, there is not one bad one in the group. Yeah, it's a, it was like a really, really, yeah, mind-blowing. So, they sold. I'm pretty sure, like most of the women's teams, sold out of all of the men's sizes of their shirts within like 24 to 48 hours. I believe the Red Stars. Have you seen the Red Stars one that kind of has like the city map on it, whatever? They're, they're uh, like, I think so. They, I the Red Stars, I gotta say, have some consistently pretty sharp uh, NWSL kids. I want to say they're on their second or third order of them already. I like it. Yeah, it's amazing. So, but I'm gonna finish on one on a question that John Brown. We we talked about the, oh yeah Brown soccer movies. <laughs> we have to talk about this quickly. <laughs> okay, I mean I'll give you my easy answer. Nobody knows it, but my favorite soccer movie right now is Monkey in the Middle, aka It's a Zoo in Here, and it stars Graham Susie and Jimmy fucking Nielsen. Um, wow! <laughs> and you just gotta watch it until the very end to see those two. Uh, star in a movie and that's my favorite soccer movie I, w- I was gonna say if if i want to do the documentary the 30 for 30 on hillsborough next goal wins which was um i was at american samoa i mean that was oh yeah Tom that's, 
those were those were absolutely the both of those are amazing. I think next um, wins. I might have cried during that. I had a, I shed a tear at one point, either when he was like sliding through the mud during one of his training sessions. Yeah, or something. That, that was that was phenomenal. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, what is it? Um, is it goal? The dream begins or whatever. Where where he goes right, to Newcastle? The kid goes to Newcastle. Uh, Shaolin soccer. Uh, there's some good ones out there. How about and Hot hey, Shot? Do you remember? Do you remember Hot Shot? Oh yeah, we reviewed that on the Real Footy podcast one day. That was starring Pele. Yeah, Pele. Yeah, it has one of like the best soccer montage like training scenes ever, where Pele is like on the guy's shoulders, making him like take him through the jungle, hitting yeah. things off of like like hitting balls that are hanging on chains. Yeah, suppose, check out Hot Shot out there. I suppose as an Arsenal fan, seeing a movie about Newcastle with goal wouldn't fit real well with you. I mean, it's not like they're a huge rival or anything, or no. a huge or a huge club. They should be. <laughs> <laughs> you ever thought Arsenal has problems? Then you can look at Newcastle. Go, never mind. Uh, that that Sunderland documentary, everybody check that out. That's pretty great. The like series on Netflix. Um, LAFC's got a good one on ESPN Plus. I mean, there is enough good soccer. Different, but I guess John, to answer your question on movies, if you had to ask me. I'd probably go with goal, and that would be about it. I mean, that that's, you know, I, I guess everybody would have to say victory or um, fever pitch. I'm sticking was, to I'm sticking to monkey in the middle, aka as all right. it's a zoo in here starring Jimmy Nielsen then gonna, and then I'm gonna go Graham Susie. If you can do that, I'm gonna do a next goal wins. We'll we'll call it that. So John, right. answer your question on that one. So this is the Mini Van Dad Soccer Pod at Mini Van Dad Pod. I've had back office Gavin. Bog. Um, you can follow him at Back Office Gavin. If you want to follow me, I'm at TJ Zaremba. This has been a, another long show, but I love these and I could do these all night. So, Bog, thanks for thanks for coming on tonight. I do appreciate it. Hope it I hope it was worth it for you anyway. <laughs> hey, it totally was, man. I really appreciate you having me on. Let's uh, keep keep up the the soccer talk, man. Looking forward you're, to the next one. You're welcome back anytime. You just let me know when. We'll do it again. So, all right, all right. appreciate it, brother. All right, thank you and. Everybody at Minivan Dad Pod, five stars on iTunes or whatever, uh, SoundCloud, find it there. Check it out, and hopefully we can grow this thing and make it into something something huge. So thanks for listening, everybody. Minivan Dad, Minivan Dad, Minivan Dad, Soccer Pod with TJ.